I'm Grant. I'm Elena. And welcome to History Honeys. The podcast where a married couple teaches each other about cool stuff in the past. So, Rasputin. Yeah? Are you familiar? It's part of one of my favorite animated musicals. Yeah? Yeah. 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 Home on the Range has Rasputin in it? No. Okay. <laughs> Does anyone actually like that movie? <laughs> I don't think I've ever seen that movie. <laughs> but I love Anastasia. It's so good. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But we're not going to talk about him today. Wait, what? I thought this, that's what the episode was about. It's not. No, it is about uh, his killer, Felix Yusupov. Oh, that took a turn from yeah. what I was anticipating today. Yeah, yeah. I was anticipating that I would get to reference one of my favorite movies a lot. Well, you already did, so that's out of the way and we can move on to, to the business at hand. Does he at least have... Are we going to talk about the bat? I suppose we already have. <laughs> You're mean. So on December 16th, 1916, Grigory Rasputin ate a full tray of poisoned cakes and did not die. A full tray? He drank three glasses of poisoned wine and did not die. Dude was having a party. He was shot through the heart and he did not die. Okay, now this seems a little like far stretched. <laughs> a, a party of conspirators bound him and dumped him into the river where he finally drowned. His body recovered days later. Now, are we sure that it was the drowning or maybe finally all that poison and the gunshot caught up to him? At least this is the story as it is told by the person we're here to talk about today, Felix Yusupov, the prince who hosted the murder party in his home. This story is a lie. I don't know. I'd say it's probably like true because who's going to lie that they did a really bad job at murder? <laughs> That's what we're here to find out as we talk about the life of Yusupov himself and a much more likely story about the death of Rasputin. Did he just get, like, syphilis or something? <laughs> uh, not that I know of, but not for lack of trying, this guy. Oh my! Quite, quite the libertine around uh, uh, Petrograd. So Felix Yusupov was the last of the fabulously wealthy Yusupov family. Uh, he was, in fact, the richest man in Russia. Oh man. Uh, he, he owned dozens of estates and palaces all across the country. He had a handful of palaces in Petrograd alone. Just, you know, in case you want to change the scenery, go to a new neighborhood. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm going to go to my other palace. <laughs> like you do. Yeah, yeah. He, he attended Oxford University and became a notorious playboy uh, in his years in England. Uh, a, a number of alleged affairs with, with both men and women. Uh, he hey, hey, hey. He once claimed that King Edward VII made a pass at him while he was in drag. Dude lived an exciting life. Prince Felix in drag, not, not the King of England, by the way, just to be clear. Still exciting life. <laughs> uh, he was brought back to Russian society when he married Tsar Nicholas's only niece. And, and then they went on a globe-trotting honeymoon, at least until World War I broke out, making it pretty risky to be a Russian aristocrat in Germany. Yeah, that would put a damper on your travels. <laughs> he did not serve in the military in any capacity. Uh, he, he claimed an exception to, to the service requirement for only children. His older brother had died in a duel years earlier. So it's like a Saving Private Ryan thing, like, got nope. Yeah. You get a pass. Yes, he took that pass, uh, which made him pretty unpopular, both among uh, uh, the peasantry who were going off and dying and, and didn't get to uh, 
take claim of any exceptions, and even other nobles said he was, quote, virtually doing nothing, an utterly unpleasant impression he makes, a man idling in such times. It's just so flowery to be <laughs> saying, like, man, he's a dick. What a lazy bum he is. Now, he did agree with his noble peers that Rasputin had too much influence over the Tsarina, who had taken charge of domestic affairs when Tsar Nicholas II went to the Eastern Front to be very hands-on running the war. Although, Grand Duke Nicholas Mikhailovich, the Tsar's cousin, believed that Yusupov was having an affair with Rasputin, and saw them together all the time, uh, wrote in his diary uh, about uh, Rasputin visiting the various Yusupov palaces all the time. Mm. Yeah, maybe. Uh. Now, of course, the reason uh, uh, Rasputin had such uh, uh, influence over the, the Tsarina and her decision-making, uh, uh, or at least is alleged to, is because of his uh, uh, abilities as a faith healer for uh, the Tsar's young son uh, who suffered from hemophilia. Yeah. Uh, my favorite theories for what was really going on there, if we assume that faith healing doesn't exist. Yeah. If, if we start from that, we, we have to find another explanation. He had a cute bat. <laughs> what? I don't think Hank Azaria was involved, dear. <laughs> for one, he wasn't born yet. Uh, but perhaps uh, uh, Rasputin was just such a con man that he was skillful in uh, taking credit for uh, uh, the, the young prince's good days and oh, uh, yeah. and pushing off the blame for his bad days on others. Yeah. Another one is that, well, maybe he knew some peasant folk medicine for internal bleeding for horses and applied that to the, the uh, uh, hemophilia of a young human boy. That would also work. But my favorite is the idea that when, when he came in with a flourish and, and kicked out all the doctors and said they, they were fools who should never be listened to and, and threw all of their uh, scientific medicine in the fire, that might have helped the prince because the, the, the then uh, uh, current, like... The way to treat things was to, like, bleed someone out? Uh, no, we, we were beyond bleeding. <laughs> okay. We had moved on to aspirin as the cure. Oh, yeah, that doesn't help either. Uh, it helps a great many things, but as a blood thinner, it's very, very bad for hemophilia. Yeah. 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 On to the, we're going to give you pills, mm -hmm. some aspirin, some cocaine. <laughs> All things that do what they do very well. But, but not that in this situation. It doesn't make them cure -alls. So for whatever reason, Yusupov wanted Rasputin dead. Uh, in December, he hosted a conspiracy of, of other Russian nobles to murder Rasputin in his home. By bringing him cake. Yes. I, I mean, it goes right back to our last episode. They, they were apparently just, they were just burying these, these cakes, these, these little petty fours, as described in one of the accounts, in cyanide. So it was like a, a tres leches cake, but with like, you coated it in cyanide instead yeah. of like a milk mixture. One one of the conspirators was a doctor whose job was just to, like, grind up the, the cyanide uh, uh, crystals. Like, that is a sugar coating, you see, mm -hmm, not mm -hmm. a cyanide coating. No, no, no. Sprinkle them inside the, the filling layer in between. Uh, that is raspberry you are tasting. <laughs> and really? almond. Because it tastes like almond, yeah, yeah. Lots of almond extract and almond flour and almond meal and um, some almonds. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> 
So the thing is, the physical evidence found uh, uh, in the Yusupov Palace doesn't match any of the stories of the conspiracy members. Uh, and also, the conspiracy members disagree with one another on some important details, like who was standing where when, when which bullet was fired. The, uh. These are things that are important to constructing the timeline, and they're things on which the conspirators do not agree. Yeah. That's also the sort of thing that uh, human memory is fallible about, so there's that. But as far as the physical uh, uh, evidence, the, the stories say Rasputin was shot twice. Once in the chest close up, once in the back from afar as he ran away and, and stumbled around the courtyard. Uh, the body has three bullet holes, oh. all of which were uh, are consistent with very close uh, shots fired, you know, powder burns and, and the scarring around the edge, etc. No conspirator mentioned anyone shooting Rasputin square in the forehead, oh. which seems like a pretty memorable event in, in the night's proceedings. I, I mean, yeah, they're... You wouldn't miss that. Later analysis suggests that the three bullet holes were each different sizes, uh, therefore coming from uh, three different calibers of gun, so three different guns, suggesting three shooters. It could be two. <laughs> it, it could be somebody, you know, juggling, like, like Revolver Ocelot. You know, it's possible. It was a party after all. <laughs> So the, the story also, like I said, mentions Rasputin running out in the, in the courtyard, stumbling away. But the blood trail that was found was a perfectly straight line, consistent with uh, everyone carrying a bleeding body uh, out to the car. Do these people need dictionaries to understand <laughs> what words mean? <laughs> so if we believe this three-shooter theory, who else was involved that Yusupov never mentioned in these accounts? Uh, and, and all of these other uh, people in their confessions never d decided to, to speak about. What if it was British intelligence? Oh! What if one of the most likely stories for the death of Rasputin is it, the British SIS before, you know, the founding of MI5 and MI6 later in the 20th century? That, that is something. <laughs> uh, we know for certain that agents were monitoring the Russian court, uh, in, in their internal communications, they uh, referred to Rasputin as dark forces. Oh. Russian newspapers also used that as a uh, uh, code name for him. Yeah. Rasputin was, no was known or was at least heavily suspected by many, many people to be trying to, to negotiate a secret separate peace between Russia and Germany. This seizure of power, very, very unpopular among the nobility, uh, it's something that some of the, the known conspirators mentioned as why they wanted to kill him. Mm -hmm. But it would also be disastrous for the Allies if all German forces were freed up to go fight on the Western Front alone. Yeah. So that brings us to John Scale, a British intelligence agent stationed in Petrograd. He, he wrote, quote, German intrigue was becoming more intense daily. Enemy agents were busy whispering of peace and hinting how to get it by creating disorder, rioting, etc. Things looked very black. Romania was collapsing and Russia herself seemed weakening. The failure in communications, the shortness of foods, the sinister influence which seemed to be clogging the war machine, Rasputin the drunken debaucher influencing Russia's policy, what was to be the end of it all? If Russia falls, king and country are not far behind, uh, according to John Scale. 
During the murder, though, Scale had been sent out of the country to perform a mission in Romania. According to his daughter, it was very, very important that he not be in Russia in December 1916. Ah. She's also described just how much he hated Rasputin personally, and said that he was involved with the known conspirators. Mm. Involved can mean a lot of things. It can mean a lot of things. But some of those things... <laughs> Yeah. Uh, Oswald Rayner was another intelligence was another intelligence agent assigned to Petrograd. Uh, he was a personal friend of Prince Yusupov. They met when they were both studying in Oxford. Ah. A place that that is famous for uh, the the recruitment of British intelligence agents. Ah. Uh, this this is something actual history and you know spy fiction has in common. A, a lot comes out of Oxford. Yeah. Yeah. Rainer's obituary says he was in the Yusupov Palace on the night of the murder. Ooh. Just a fun little fact they put there in the newspaper for the whole world to just, see. Just so you know. Just so you know. A, a diary kept by chauffeur William Compton, who was in Petrograd during these years, uh, shows Rainer and Yusupov meeting several times in the weeks leading to the assassination. He also wrote, quote, It is a little-known fact that Rasputin was shot not by a Russian, but by an Englishman. Ah. It's not a big leap to guess which Englishman he was talking about. No, not really, no. Uh, that leap was also made by none other than Tsar Nicholas II. <laughs> <laughs> As soon as he learned of the murder before the conspirators came forward with their confessions, he immediately suspected Oswald Rayner and knew him as Yusupov's old college friend. Ah. Rayner did have a, a hand in the popular version of events, though. He was Yusupov's translator for the English edition of his book, Rasputin, His Malignant Influence and His Assassination. <laughs> well, there you go. Was he participating in, in a little bit of editing to keep uh, his influence out of the English edition? Uh, maybe. Maybe. But he certainly had a very close working relationship with Yusupov, the self-proclaimed killer, for many years to come. Uh, a third agent, Stephen Alley, sent a telegram to scale in Romania while he was being sent away for allegedly a very important reason uh, to update him in early January 1917. Quote, although matters have not proceeded entirely to plan, our objective has clearly been achieved. <laughs> ah. uh, reaction to the demise of dark forces has been well received by all, although a few awkward questions have already been asked about wider involvement. Rainer is attending to loose ends and will no doubt brief you on your return. <laughs> I, I do love the term dark forces. Yes. And it worked into sentences. Mm -hmm. Usually you only hear it when talking about uh, uh, 90s Star Wars video games. But now, here we go. Yeah. That uh, um, telegram is not uh, an admission of anything. Though words like plan, uh, our objective has clearly been achieved. Uh, and then immediately talking about how the demise has been well received by all. And one of our agents is, to is attending to loose ends. There's a very, very clear suggestion. Yeah. Now, uh, speaking of that suggestion, though, the MI6 archives claim they do not have any records tying these men to the murder of Rasputin, which suggests any of a number of things, like they could be lying, or records may have been destroyed in the last 104 years. It always blows my mind 
how recent mm-hmm. Rasputin and and those events are because it always I don't know for some reason like it always seems like it's much older mm-hmm, than mm-hmm. what it is. I mean, but it's not. <laughs> you're going to have that feeling more and more as we follow the life of Felix Yusupov further and further in, into the 20th century. Thought you were gonna say is like you get older. <laughs> <laughs> As you get roughly half an hour older, but per- perhaps a reason uh, MI6 doesn't have files relating to these things is because they never created files. It might have just been these on-the-ground agents' idea without any communication uh, and certainly no formal orders from back in London. Mm-hmm. And then again, maybe what they're suggesting by saying they have no records is the case. Maybe there was no British hand in Rasputin's death. Although the, the the idea that they did is still more likely than surviving that much cyanide. <laughs> Never mind uh, the, the part of Yusupov's story where he can see through Rasputin's heart. Okay, so what if what if they did, like, their whole plan was actually to, like, do all that cyanide into cake and wine. Mm-hmm. But, like, someone messed up and got the crushed cyanide confused with, like, the sugar. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And they just ended up feeding the guy a lot of cake. <laughs> like, normal cake. And some poor other person got a toxic amount of cyanide that could have killed, like, 100 people. One of the early objections to Yusupov's, uh, to, to Yusupov's story was from Rasputin's daughter, who claimed my, my father did not do sweets. He would never eat that many cakes. Ah. He would drink that much wine. That's fair. Well, it's only three glasses. It's only three glasses. Like, come on. <laughs> but the version of events that, that says, we invited this guy over under false pretenses, shot him a couple times and dumped him in the river, isn't particularly exciting. No. Especially if you have to leave out the, the parts that would cause an international incident. Yeah. Meanwhile, Yusupov had some bills to pay. It's a lot of cake he had to make. (laughs) Especially considering 1917, the year to follow, wasn't particularly kind to Russian aristocrats. No. No, no it wasn't. (laughs) Once the Tsar abdicated in the spring, Felix and his wife went into exile. Uh, They were fine, though. They they, uh, took their Rembrandt... They took some of their Rembrandts off the walls, some of the giant diamonds that used to belong to Marie Antoinette out of out of their drawers. You know, we're just you know. packing light. <laughs> this is how they, they paid their way to settle uh, eventually in, in Paris. They, they bombed around a little bit, lived in Paris a while, London a while, blah, blah, blah. Mostly they, they lived in the expat community in Paris. Uh, where they opened a fashion house, uh, but did not manage it particularly well. Uh, the crash of 1929 led to its ultimate closure, though. What always brought in the cash was Felix's story. So he published three separate memoirs. Of course he did. Each with new, exciting details about the night Rasputin died. So this is, this is like the tomato trial, where we just keep adding on some details. <laughs> but it's all one guy. Yes. He's just like, you know what? I can do better. He, he just, I just I didn't bring my A-game to that memoir, so let's do it again. He kicks open the, the door to his publisher's office and says, I've remembered something else. 
Of course, Yusupov wasn't the only person telling this story. It was an international sensation. I mean, we have the, this weird peasant mystic faith healer having all sorts of, of debauchery because that makes God's forgiveness that much sweeter. Whoa, that's fun. Uh, especially when you're Hollywood. So we are talking about movies. We are going to talk about some movies. First off, 1932's Rasputin and the Empress. Yusupov sued the studio uh, MGM for libel regarding that movie. Oh. Yeah, specifically, uh, uh, he sued because that film featured characters based on himself and his wife, clearly, and showed the character based on uh, his wife, Princess Irina Yusupov, having an affair with Rasputin, which he did not like very much, and then being raped by Rasputin, which he really did not like very much. Yeah, I can, I can see some problems there. So they won the equivalent of $2.5 million from the court, uh, and then got a $19 million settlement directly from the studio. Ah. One of the judges dur during, you know, the hearings of this case said that the studio would have been better off in, from a legal standpoint if the film had said it wasn't intended to be an accurate portrayal of events. Mm -hmm. Instead, they did the marketing thing, like, oh, th this the is... true story. The true story that, that's too shocking to ever be shown. You know, it, it's pre-code Hollywood. We're really going for it, right? Yeah. Good times. <laughs> However, that statement from the bench is why films have the standard disclaimer. This is not supposed to represent... Exactly, exactly. Uh... Uh, any resemblance to persons living or dead is coincidental, blah, blah, blah. That boilerplate... Even if we use their names and, you know, <laughs> all that. As little, as little sense as that makes sometimes, that's why every movie has that. Right when they're, like, thanking the city of Atlanta and, and talking about how the ASPCA gave him a thumbs up or whatever. And, like, the family of so-and-so. Yeah. <laughs> but it's, it's, it's not about them. <laughs> Uh, another bit of film trivia, Rasputin and the Empress is the only film to star all three Barrymore siblings. Oh. Even though it's not particularly important to the topic at hand. Uh, John Barrymore played the character based on Prince Felix, actually. Oh. John Drew Barrymore, his son, also played Yusupov, uh, this, in this case actually named Felix Yusupov, in The Night They Killed Rasputin, which came out in 1960. But again, that is... Entirely unrelated. I just thought that's fun. Yeah. If Drew Barrymore ever plays one of the Yusupovs. <laughs> There's still time. Come on. There's still time, baby. Let's make a memoir. Years, years later, Yusupov threatened to sue Hammer Films while they were developing Rasputin the Bad Monk, which came out in 1966. At least according to its director. Uh, uh, so that required late rewrites, which might be why the movie is bad. It's a bad movie. <laughs> I have not seen it. Uh, Christopher Lee really likes it, though. He, he really yeah. enjoyed playing Rasputin in that. Well, you know, you can have fun, like, playing something and liking it and it not be good. <laughs> it's okay. The most challenging thing for an actor is, like, I had fun with that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It was shit, <laughs> but it was fun. Yusupov's last touch with the film industry was as a consultant in 1967's I Killed Rasputin. Oh, my God. <laughs> Like, how old was he by then? Like, was he in his, like, 80s? I think he, he was around uh, 80, yeah. Okay. 
But in I Killed Rasputin, he wasn't only a credited uh, uh, consultant on you know the, the script and, and the events covered, but he impe- but the film began with him appearing as as himself giving a direct to camera interview segment. That's so weird. <laughs> it is called I Killed Rasputin, after all. So weird. Uh, he died later in in that year in 1967. So Yusupov Palace in St. Petersburg is now a public building. Cool. Once people can do international travel again, if if you want to check it out, you can go check it out. The rooms involved in the assassination are kept as a museum for tours. Mm -hmm. Uh, However, the courtyard where Rasputin is likely to have died uh, is a playground for the kindergarten next door. Oh my god! (laughs) (laughs) Please tell me there's a plaque. (laughs) And that little children are like, teacher, what's this say? John Scale, he survived pursuit by the Bolsheviks following the revolution and uh, became head of the Stockholm British SIS station. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Stephen Alley was also uh, uh, eventually assigned to the Stockholm station during the Cold War. Uh, Oswald Rayner, though, uh, the the most likely uh, uh, trigger man for that uh, uh, right between the eyes shot. Like, it's clearly in the photograph. Everyone knows he was shot in the head, and none of these books mention shooting him in the head. That's so weird. It's cr- it's nuts. Well, that happened after he was already dead. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, uh, even the fish hated this guy so bad. Once they dumped him in the river, the fish shot him, just to be sure. Okay, you know what happened, actually, is, like, they threw him in the river... And then someone accidentally dropped their gun, and the gun misfired <laughs> and hit him in the head. So in any case, the person who is is most likely to have fired that shot, Oswald Rayner, he left the service after the war. He became a, a, a journalist, a foreign correspondent stationed in Finland. Uh, he also named his son John Felix Rayner after Prince Felix Yusupov. Oh. They were tight. They were good, good friends forever. <laughs> Besties. Uh, so, d- so that is the end of our story. Darling, what have you learned? That there's not a bat in the story. <laughs> Don Bluth made up a lot. Like one, evil magic. <laughs> if Rasputin had any magic, it was healing magic. And uh, <laughs> I know. Okay. I know that movie is made up. Just mm-hmm. putting that out there. Mm-hmm. Don't people judge me. But come on, the bat, probably a lot of people's sexual awakenings of many genders because, like, very attractive cartoon characters. Now, are, are you talking about uh, Anya and Dimitri, or are you talking about Rasputin and the bat? I don't judge. Like, let... Are you talking about the, the guy voiced by Frasier? No. Anya and Dimitri, people were very confused about which one they would want to, like, hook up with. Okay, okay. Uh, The the Great Ant's Maid. That was also probably for a lot of people. (laughs) Don Bluth likes to make pretty people when he's not making really grotesque people or animals. Love that bat. (laughs) What, What I think is important about this story... I don't think Rasputin would be the guy he is in popular consciousness if it weren't for the story of his death. Oh, yeah. If he was just it, maybe a con artist, maybe a faith healer. He would just be like, who, he was a kook. Who got shot one day, then who would care? 
Like, uh, it would just be a weird footnote in, in the, the backstory to the February and October revolutions. Yes. But because of these multiple memoirs. Be, yeah, be, because of this. poison cakes. This legendary, uh, uh, unkillable, th- this legendary story of an unkillable beast of a man that is put together by Yusupov and his uh, contemporaries. I, again, even if there is no British uh, uh, involvement, clearly the accepted story is fake. There's no way. Well, and it's also like when you start using terms like the dark force. Yeah. Like, yeah. come on. You are asking for people to, like, be interested. Mm-hmm. You don't want this swept under the rug. You want people to be like, the what now? <laughs> Tell me more. Let's make a movie about this. I'm, I'm, I'm sure at the time, uh, internally in Russia, he was a huge... He, he was the guy everybody was talking about. He, everybody had an opinion. And uh, some, for some people, it was tied with their politics and some it wasn't. And, and so to take down somebody who is becoming a legend in his own right, he, he needs to have a death that matches him. Yes. But I, th- I think that story is what springboarded him to the rest of the world. The non-Russian world. Yeah. Also, I would like to give a shout out to a podcast called Hammer House of Podcast, whose most recent episode as they go through that, that whole filmography is, is the previously mentioned Rasputin the Mad Monk, ah. uh, where one of the hosts blew the other's mind by mentioning this possible like British intelligence connection that, that has uh, uh, become much more accepted over previous years, over yeah. the, again, the, the more dramatically satisfying <laughs> and far more well-known story of, of Yusupov and his buddies. Yeah. So I'd like to thank them for bringing this to my attention and being fun to listen to. Every month they talk about another Hammer horror film in release order. They, they, they love the great ones and they have interesting things to say about the ones on par with Rasputin the Mad Monk. <laughs> Barbara Shelley, brilliant in it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so with that, we're going to take a break and be back with Letters. Welcome back, everybody. Hello. Uh, we have some letters to share with you today. Yes, we do. Uh, our first letter comes in from ARP. And, and ARP answers uh, the, the prompt that I, I set forward in our previous episode. I wanted to know everybody's favorite monk, because we were talking about the assassination of the mad monk Rasputin. Ah. Uh-huh. 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 He was officially not a monk with the, the church. He was... Uh, him and the church hierarchy, very strained relationship. Mm-hmm. But whatever, it's a nickname. Back to Arp's letter, though. <laughs> Arp's favorite monk is Lao Tzu, because Arp is themselves a, a secular Taoist. Uh, they, they study the philosophical bits of the Tao Te Ching and finds that it really helps them with their anxiety, which is pretty cool. I haven't, you know, studied or read much Taoism outside of, like... Uh, in high school, when you are exposed to all sorts of things, because you're, you're trying to find an identity. And what I saw then, I clicked with that a lot. Like, I get it. Maybe I should get back into it. Okay. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Are you going to support me on this journey uh, to, to the Tao? If you want. Okay. <laughs> I just want you to be happy. 
but Arp also graces us with a pair of pictures of Muffin, who is a cat. Who is a cat with big, sweet eyes. I love Muffin. Muffin looks so, like, cuddly and fuzzy. Yes. That is like some teddy bear fur. (laughs) So, so good job being you, Muffin. And thanks to Arp. Uh, Peter also writes in, answering the favorite monk prompt. We have Thelonious Monk of uh-huh. Round Midnight Jazz fame. Mm-hmm. Uh, so when Peter was uh, realizing that there was more to music than what was played on the radio mm-hmm. and went exploring, Monk, among others, uh, introduced Peter to jazz. And that is a special, you know, memory. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, thanks, Peter, for writing. Thanks to everybody who wrote. If you would like to give us a letter, where can those go, dear? Podcast at gmail.com. And we want to hear any stories you want to share or questions, uh, show suggestions, uh, corrections, of course, always welcome, and responses to our usual prompts. Darling, do you have something you want to hear about for our next episode? Our Valen Crimes special. Valen Crimes. Valen Crimes 2021 is right around the corner. So I, I want to know, and I hope we haven't done this prompt before. I don't really remember <laughs> don't at this so. point. Uh, what is your favorite Valentine's candy? Oh, yes. It's the, you know, what What do you rush out to get on February 15th for 50% off? The crime of processed sugars. <laughs> Again, those can all go to historyhoneyspodcast at gmail.com. Uh, you, uh can also follow us on social media. Yeah. Uh, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all at History Honeys. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And while you're out there, why not uh, uh, give us a rating and review? We're back in the driver's seat. We are plugging away. We're, we're hitting all our holidays. Oh, yeah. <laughs> at least for another eight months. Uh, uh, <laughs> Spookums is a long, long time after Valentine's. <laughs> uh, you can also tell a friend. Word of mouth goes a long way. It gives you something to talk about <laughs> in this time of not doing a lot of things in our lives. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, I do like how I, I do like the way this story, the, the story that we had today, replaces one very implausible sort of supernatural uh, uh, assassination, which is an interesting kind of story, with a more plausible but also intrigue-filled. Uh, international super spy bit of business. Yeah. <laughs> Especially with the wrinkle that, that some people who, who forward this theory believe that, yeah, it, it was these Petrograd agents acting entirely on their own with no approval, possibly even no knowledge back from the home office going rogue. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it, it's, it's the sort of story that you can come out uh, uh, and, and tell people at parties. Or on Zoom. Because yeah, let's know. be safe. Yeah. <laughs> Virtual parties. Virtual parties. Also, something I would like to remind everybody about. Uh, Sex Archie is back up and going weekly yeah. uh, with the new season of Riverdale that uh, is hitting its time skip now, which was announced a while ago. But now that it's happening, people who don't watch the show are noticing. So it's a great time to to jump in. Uh, we've put out some of our best episodes recently. Yeah, we've come back ready. <laughs> Come back prepared. I think our our bonus episode talking about the 2001 Josie and the Pussycats film was a lot of fun talking about something as as bizarre and specific and destined to be a cult classic as that movie. We had a lot of fun with it. And uh, at the time you're going to, at the time of this episode going up, our most recent sex Archie will be on graduation. Yeah. 
the, the Riverdale episode where all the teens graduate, it gave us a chance to, to really uh, put into words and, and put into practice a lot of the things we love about the show and the characters. So it's a very earnest take from us. Yes. There's, there's some good gags in it. We have a lot of fun and some laughs, but like at the end of the day, it's an episode that was actually affecting in a way the show very, very rarely is. Yes. And I think us talking about it on Sex Archie made that one a, a, a pretty special one as well. Yeah, so it's a good time to come join us over there as well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So with that, I'm Grant. I'm Elena. And history's better with, with your honey. honey.